This is Danny Trail, a.k.a. Machete. And he don't text. And he don't listen to the skeleton crew either. Skeleton Crew, here we are, show number 94. <laughs> Jamie Jenkins, what's going on? Woo! I just came back from camping this weekend where I had a good time and I almost didn't go because I caught my neighbor peeing in my backyard again. Oh, awesome. <laughs> and, uh, but I ended up going anyway and that was fun and they have a, like less than a week before they have to get out so oh, good. I'm in a good mood cool <laughs> well guess who's coming in we have <laughs> a nice segue we have a special guest on the show uh, uh, guys listened for a long time he's on you guys all know him on our Facebook group page he's on Banana Lasers Facebook group page His he's referred to as Tony T Tony Theralt I believe what is going on man Mario Terrio, yeah. Now, what is it? What's your name? Terrio. Terrio. Yes, correct. But isn't it spelled Therald? <laughs> it is. It's just weird. Jamie, how do you know it's Terrio? Because uh, of the host of Dance USA was Tony Terrio. Not Tony. Um, <laughs> Danny Terrio. And so huh. that's how I knew how to. A guy at work today, same thing, asked how to say my name, and he started doing a dance. Said, really? Oh, he knew how to say it, yeah. <laughs> nice. Oh, what to ask? Well, I already asked you, you know, one thing I was curious about, we just mentioned before we started, is that when we did the classic Universal Monster movies, uh, I always wonder if people were just dying for us to get this over with because they don't know what we're talking about. You know, I don't think anybody really gives attention to those movies, Jamie. Would you say that... No, I'd say that's correct, and not nearly enough. You know how I feel. I think it's important to know where you came from, you know, in order to know where you are and where you're going. And so I think that any horror fan should have a solid knowledge or at least a, a at least watch them just once, just to get an idea of where we have, how far we've come in all these years. Right. And if you didn't listen to those shows, you would never know that Jamie thinks it's funny when Larry Talbot grabs his hair before he becomes a werewolf. <laughs> yeah, apparently I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, Jason Lloyd really disappointed me. He swore to me that the year 2014 was the year he would go and watch all those movies. And he has yet to do it. And when I said I knew you wouldn't, he said there's just too much new shit to watch. <sighs> that is disappointing. You have to watch Torment, I guess. You have to watch uh, <laughs> Camp Dread. <laughs> it's very important to get those under your belt, yeah. Yeah, you got <laughs> instead of watching Frankenstein, The Bride of Frankenstein, you got to watch... Uh, built Bob Goldthwait's Willow Creek, the Bigfoot movie, because you know those are always good. Yeah. Hey, that was good. <laughs> you saw it? Yeah, oh yeah. I saw it. I didn't like it's, it. It's good in a subtle way. You need to uh, really submerse yourself in the film, and uh, it's the sound design that is the scariest. It's nothing that you see. You have to basically you got a big 15-20 minute scene where the, the two people are in a tent. And you have to basically put yourself in the tent with them 
I think I was watching this late at night. I had all my windows, my doors open, so I'm getting, you know, outside creatures and animals, natural sound, plus I got my volume up to 11 shaking the house. So it affected me uh, the way it's supposed to, but I could see if you were to just watch it, just sit down and not be into it, it would just be a snooze. Right. And, you know, one of those worst found footages. But if you dive right in, you know, uh, it's subtle. It's what you hear. It's what your imagination does. It's nothing that you see. Right. Yeah. That's why Willow Creek game bad. It's like 80 minutes, not even. Yeah, but it feels like three hours. <laughs> I'm not even going to lie. I fell. I was snoozing a bit towards the middle. Woke up and <laughs> missed nothing. <laughs> and I enjoyed it, too. So, yeah, there's a lot of filler. I already lost the that move. I'm not going to lose my club. The last time I heard you share your vision, we were talking about cutting the ties to the things that were killing us. I don't have a vision anymore. Sons of Anarchy, the final season, premieres Tuesday, September 9th at 10 on FX. Alright guys, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about Sons of Anarchy versus Breaking Bad. A lot of people have been asking me about it lately. So if you don't want to hear about this, just forward the show 14 minutes. And uh, after that we have uh, a bunch of... We're going to fly through a bunch of horror recommendations and why people should watch them. It's, it's, a, it's going to be a good segment. But yeah, if you don't want to hear about this TV show stuff, I understand... But the season premiere is coming, I think it's September 9th, so I really want to get into it. So yeah, skip 14 minutes if you're not interested. Hi, this is Kim Coates. You listen to The Skeleton Crew. And keep listening, or else. Now, Tony, are you the guy on Facebook? I believe you are. Are you the one who supports my theory that Sons of Anarchy is better than Breaking Bad? Dude, I was hoping you were going to ask me this. I kid you not. I went to work... Wearing a Sons of Anarchy shirt, and when I came home, I changed and put on a Breaking Bad shirt, and I said, "That's gonna come into play." I know he's gonna ask me about it. What? But yes, um, Sons of Anarchy is the better show by far, by tenfold. I love Breaking Bad, amazing show, but man, Sons of Anarchy, way better. Dude, that show just does stuff to me. Like m- more feelings than watching any horror movie. You know, it just, man, it gives me goosebumps and chills and makes me feel emotional and oh, it just gives me it's so creepy the way it affects me like the character development the writing dude, it it's just it i watch it i'm just submerged into like a whole different universe like i can't describe it like if you guys don't watch it just gotta start watching it, it. it's funny you say that man because one of the harley davidson um quotes or whatever those are called uh is uh if i have to explain it you wouldn't understand and that, and oddly enough, you know, Sons is about a motorcycle club. And like I always tell people, they always say, yeah, I'm not really into motorcycle stuff and blah, blah. You do not have to be into motorcycles to like this show. You have to be into human beings and characters. Yes. And <laughs> If anybody wants to say, how could you possibly say Sons is better than Breaking Bad? Because, you know, Breaking Bad, oh, the Grammys and fucking nominations, whatever the fuck. You know, look, man, there's a lot of politics going on and shit like that. You don't really think that Sons of Anarchy hasn't gotten stuff because of any reason besides personal problems between Kurt Sutter and and these types of organizations. That's what mostly this is all about. And it's also about the content and what goes down on the show, which you guys would like. Uh, you know, these 
these fancy organizations don't like stuff like that. Uh, you would. Um, <clears throat> one thing, one big mistake I made with Sons and Breaking Bad, I do love both shows. Uh, Breaking Bad has not even nearly affected me the same way Sons has. Sons is like, it'll just change you and change so many things about how you view things and and your experiences in watching television in, in a lot of ways. And the worst thing you could do is if you haven't seen both of these shows, and if you watch Sons from season one to six, and then you watch Breaking Bad, that's not good. Because you're going to expect, since those are like the two big shows, you're going to expect so much amazing jaw-dropping shit from Breaking Bad, especially the way it's so hyped up. You're going to expect a lot because what you watched on Suns, and you're not going to get it. You're going to get about tops 10 to 15 of those moments. On Suns, you're going to get like 50 of those moments, you know. Um, so the best thing you could do is watch all of Breaking Bad and then watch Sons. That way you'll appreciate Breaking Bad a lot more because it'll be a big deal when you watch it without coming off of such a amazing show like Sun. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I've been watching Sons since um, day one when it aired and I did the Netflix marathon of Breaking Bad, but I went into Breaking Bad expecting Sons and not getting it. So I enjoyed the show because it's great, but... It's like, uh, you know, the first time you smoke crack or whatever, you know, they got that old saying, you know, you're just chasing the high. Yeah, so you get hit with a show like Suns and you almost take it for granted. You watch it build and then, you know, you get a little extra time and you hop to the next dealer and see what he's got. And it's just, uh, it's not the same. And what, what drug metaphor when you talk about Breaking Bad is perfect. Uh, it's, oh, yeah. it's just, it's, it's amazing. Um, you know, comparisons, compare the characters. Basically, what you got is is the main guy from Breaking Bad. I, f- I forgot his name. Uh, Walter, Walter White, White. Yeah, and you got the kid, uh, Pinkman. Now, those are the main focuses. You got characters like Mike, and everybody says you can't fuck with Mike. Yeah, I'm sorry, you can. I think Cl- I think Clay Morrow is <laughs> a better character than Mike. Uh, Jax is better than Mike. Uh, Gemma is better than Mike. Tara is better than uh, Pinkman. You know, Pinkman. I mean, think about it. Think of the emotional highs and lows you get with Sons, and then you get Jesse Pinkman. Think of his big arc. Yeah, exactly. What does he do during this really, oh, I felt I, my fucking heart went out for this dude, man, when he was going through this shit? What was he doing? He was hanging out in his fucking house, making it a pigsty with 40 people in the room over and over again, and it just went nowhere. Like, what did he do of any... what? value what was there in that like oh what a fucking low oh my god he hit rock bottom he hung out ordered pizza and had parties with loud music holy shit it's the thing they should they sugarcoat everything breaking bad's got the script the start to finish point of the whole story and it hits just like just points like all right we'll show you this point because it's important whereas sons there's no overlying theme or every every situation and every event and every time they go somewhere you're there with them right you don't know what the outcome is going to be and how that's going to affect the rest of the story but every minor detail you experience because the way they live their lives even though they're more in control of it is more crazy and nuts than these two guys that have no idea what they're doing that are in this drug business sons is controlled chaos but it gets you to see more of that chaos mm-hmm. all these small little details are all so important how it all works 
Breaking Bad just goes through the checklist, like, meet this. It's almost like going through a video game. Meet this guy. Oh, next season you're going to go on to a bigger villain, you know. It's just, all right, his character should do this, should do that. There's no real actual, you know, arcs or developing things causing that. It's just, it's watching a TV show, whereas you watch Sons, and it just, it doesn't feel like watching a TV show. I no. Yeah, Breaking Bad feels like a TV show. Breaking Bad has this one central focus, which is making and selling crystal meth. It's It sort of feels like you're so tired. By the 30th time, they're pouring the shit into the fucking vat. You're like, okay, uh, can we, like, kind of move on to something else? Oh, you don't get it, man. At this point, this is where the fucking... ...figures out it's him. And it's like, okay, so... We're waiting for that big scene. He's in a garage. He punches him in the face. And it's like, okay, he knows it's him. He knows? Yeah, he knows. Okay. <laughs> and it's just, like, where does this go? I can't get, like I said, I love Breaking Bad. Awesome show. Wearing a t-shirt right now of Heisenberg College. But with Walter White being at his intimate demise via the cancer or it all falling apart or jail, you're watching it all fall apart and you're kind of losing your touch, your connection with him. Whereas Sons, you're watching the main teller, main character, Jax Teller, try desperately every action event to hold everything together, and he's losing everything, and you don't want him to. You want him to find any way to bring it all together. And if you look at it that way, the shows are polar opposite, because you're watching the downfall of one person and almost rooting it on, knowing that it's coming, and hoping that it's as exciting as possible right. while he's, you know burning out instead of fading away and then you're watching this other guy who's just just this mayhem and you're like just hold together why can't this guy just live normal for two seconds and you <laughs> yeah, know even <laughs> when Jax is doing all the right stuff these idiots around him like Tig and all these other people are fucking it up so bad and then he goes and makes a deal and the fucking Irish guy shoots the fucking Chinese guy and it's like what the fuck man the, like everything around Sons is pure chaos which is the incredible character arc for Tara who's trying to get out of this, and as Jax keeps telling her, I'm gonna leave the club, blah, 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 then all of a sudden, the whole shit goes down with Clay. He can't leave the club now. Then it's like, you know, it's like every time he wants to push further, he ends up getting sucked in more, which is an awesome and very true to life. You know, the, the thing with Breaking Bad that, that I was very impressed with is that it shows you how every action of our lives, especially when you do big shit like this, which is drug shit like they're doing, it affects so many other lives. And that was the big impressive thing to me. How these things affected so many other lives. But I think where Breaking Bad fails and Sun prevails is that Sons has way more soul to it. There's so much soul and spirit behind Clay and Jax and Gemma and Tara and, and, and all these guys, you know? A, a lot, there's a lot of secondary characters, don't get me wrong. Uh, but in Breaking Bad, you got, like, this fucking annoying wife. You got this, like, sort of retarded kid, crippled kid or whatever, and it's like, okay, yeah, he's... I'm not really into that that much. He's, I'm not really connecting with this guy too much. Uh, then you got this this brother-in-law, and, yeah, Hank is, you know, he's... he's you know, I'm not really thinking about Hank when I'm doing anything else unless i'm watching the show like i don't know i just i just don't connect there's no spiritual connect there's there's like a i don't know man it's just like the journey of walter and the thing is they they take you s s 
Breaking Bad takes you through every single step of every process of every detail. And some people like to see every little detail played out. It eventually grows tired, I think, for me. And then even when you're getting, like, the, the, the greatest part of Breaking Bad, I think, is the whole build-up to the demise of, uh, I don't want to give anything away, but let's just, uh, yeah, no, the, uh, yes. yeah, the explosion in the, in the room, right? Yeah. So, yeah, that's the best part. I couldn't even stop watching, especially the, the pool scene when they die, and we were going to the pool. That was oh, yeah. amazing, dude. Like, it was so intense and, and really great stuff. That was probably the best season, I think, or even the final, whatever shows that led up to that. That was the best stuff. But I feel like you get that stuff with Suns, like, every other week, maybe, or maybe every week. Exactly. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. With Breaking Bad, it's more set in the real world, whereas the town Charming almost seems like a fairy tale, like, no way that, that would, get away with know, would exist. Yeah. But Breaking Bad is real as it tries to be it just it just doesn't whereas sons you know with the editing and these long montages of this depressing music or this family music and these just scenes of just showing you characters at peace for like 15 seconds it you know you go through all the chaos and everything but you get these small little moments that just like you said it gives its soul it sucks you in it every character every member of the club every family member you know you get to see them before they go to bed at night and you know and those are important because they might not be there the next day and there's no build up to you know oh he's got it coming to him it's just a snap of the fingers you know like it doesn't matter what you know what place your name is in the credits like you know there's a bigger story to tell and there's no predictability behind it right. so you got to savor every scene you get with these characters whether it's an action scene or there's gunshots or chase or it's them laying down with their old lady or whatever because you got to cherish those moments just like they do because they might not be there next week. And sometimes and they are sure not. do that. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, so that, that's our sales pitch, people. You better go on Netflix. You can watch both shows, season one through, whatever is available. So, uh, five. Five, yeah, five for Sons, and uh, I think five Breaking Bad. I think they're both the same at this point. So, Breaking Bad's finished, though, everybody. Sons will finish this year, starting September 9th, I think, is the first show, and it, it's the last season, and I recommend you do not watch that till you watch the uh, first through second. No. There's no way you could. That'd be retarded. Yeah. I told you I, <laughs> I told you I lost sleep after last season's finale, right? Uh, after last season's finale, I have never recovered from that moment. <laughs> I, I literally, uh, no matter how bad this sounds, I tear up sometimes thinking about it. It's, uh, I, uh, it's very disheartening to me. I went to bed and I couldn't fall asleep. I just thinking about it, thinking about it. Dude, two weeks before that, I did the same thing with, with you know what. Oh, yeah, yeah. Same thing, man. I, I, I stared at the wall. I don't know. Both times, uh, maybe this, the finale, I stared at the wall uh, about two hours longer. Um, but the other one, I stared at the wall. I was staring at the wall to maybe 2, 3 in the morning. Couldn't go to sleep after either one of those shows. And I have not recovered from the final show to this day. And my girlfriend has not recovered in the least. So <laughs> We don't know who we are till we're connected to someone else. We're just better human beings when we're with the person we're supposed to be with. Take it back. I would take it back for just another minute, just another chance with you. I belong here. Give it up. I would give everything up. 
Every last supposed to leave. Every first taste for you. Just to make it all right. Just to make it all right. But it's too late to go back. I can see the darkness through the cracks. Daylight fading. I curse the breaking. The day is gone. The day is gone. One thing that uh, it would be fun to get into is like us suggesting movies that we haven't really even gotten onto, gotten into on the show. This segment, I like to get to a bunch of things that are personal to us, movies that we grew up with that really don't get that much attention, and even if they're semi-famous. Uh, just like recommends, like you know, that people may not, or reasons you want them to watch it and to look at it in a different way if they just brushed it off the first time around. Does it have to be from my childhood? No, it could be when you're 24. <laughs> well, what about from when I was 33? <laughs> uh, 33. Uh, how about 31? Do you have any from when you were 31? <laughs> I think 33 is pushing it. Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> Whatever, Jamie. Just go ahead. You know, one of my favorite movies, I love nature gone amok films. That's one of my favorite subgenres. It's like any time uh, creatures just get, just rise up and they've had enough. Um, one of my favorites is Alligator. Uh, the Garbage Pail Kid? No, not Alligator. Oh, you said it that way. <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. Alligator. Oh. Um, it's from 81. It's just basically, you know, that old story about flushing an alligator, a baby alligator down the toilet, and then, you know, now there are alligators in the sewers. Mm -hmm. That's the idea. It just so happens that there's this company that is pumping animals full of steroids, and then they're disposing of them in the sewers. So this alligator is feeding on those animals. So it grows to a huge size, and one day sort of breaks out of the sewers and just runs amok throughout the city. And <laughs> I, I really, even watching this, to, and I watch it pretty frequently because I love it very much. So even watching it now, I think the special effects hold up fairly well. Um, they're all practical, of course, from being back then. And it's just, there are some iconic moments that sort of stick with me. There's this great scene where these kids are playing. It's like a birthday party and these kids are playing pirate and they make one of the kids walk the plank at a swimming pool. So as they're pushing him off the swimming pool diving board, he looks down into the water and sees there's an alligator there and he tries not to fall, but they push him anyway. And so this <laughs> kid gets eaten by this alligator. And I love that scene. And when I was growing up, it would chase me out of the swimming pool like if if I was in the deep end and I started thinking about that movie, then I would have to get out of the pool. What? And uh, that's how effective it was for me back. And then. you were thirty three. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I probably did do that. Yes, I probably did. <laughs> Even now, uh, like I just went to the lake this weekend. If if I'm in the lake and I start thinking about stuff like that, I'll get out of the water. I'm back in. The, I'm back on the boat or whatever. So um, wait, wait, Tony, don't leave. No. <laughs> right. Where's it going? <laughs> So that one, um, no, you're trapped in the dungeon. You can't get out. Like once you're here, the doors slam down, and there's no get. Trust me, I've tried. Yeah, you ain't getting nowhere, dude. <laughs> but for anyone, and that's not 
a completely obscure film, but I think a lot of people may have overlooked it these days. And so if they have, then I recommend going back and checking that one out because it's a it's a pretty fun movie. Well, just before I want to say, as soon as you mentioned Alligator, I was like, uh, nothing rang a bell. And then I remembered when I was younger, I used to watch, there was a sequel, right? Also? Yes. Yeah. I used to watch them back to back all the time on TV. And the only thing I could remember was the scene with the kids. Because that was the first time I ever seen a kid die in a horror movie. <laughs> nice. And, <laughs> and still to this day, that's the one scene I can remember. So as we started talking, I was like, holy crap. And then he started talking about that scene. Yeah, that'll stick with me. I haven't seen that movie in probably 15 years, but never forget that one. Wow. No, I got to see it then. See, I'm not crazy. All right. All right, Tony, what's your pick? All right, I got a film here. It's it's a little newer. It's 2008. Um. This film is called Eden Lake. This movie blew my mind, and I never heard anybody talk about it. Once I hit the internet to see if anyone was, everyone was just bashing it. Like, it's a horrible piece of crap movie. And I can't get my head around it because I think it's pretty impressive. Um, it's got Michael Fassbender, um, him and his girlfriend, or he's going to propose her. He takes her to, like, a, a little pond, basically for a camping date. And they start getting messed with by this group of these basically bad kids. It's an English yes, film. I have seen that. Okay. So this escalates it. pretty quickly where these kids start, you know, basically going children of the corn on them. It's visceral, the intensity, it's scary. <laughs> it's one film my fiance said she will never, ever, ever watch again. <laughs> when she walks by down my DVD shelf, she doesn't even like to look at the case. Um, it's brutal. Like I said, it's an English film. Uh, 2008, and I love it. I think it's one of the best films since the year 2000. And I just, like I said, the internet just everyone bashes it, and I don't know why. I can't. I haven't found anyone who's seen it who said anything good about it. But that's one that's definitely under the radar. That's one of my, you know, top newer films, and I just feel nobody's seen it. And people that have are just not giving it a fair shake because it's got everything you would want in a horror movie. You know, Shotwell, like I said, Michael Fassbender, great actor, and these freaking kids stuff they do to this couple oh yeah extremely brutal <laughs> yeah i'm looking at it. it actually looks good the pictures and stuff uh i don't know what that means but yeah i mean i'll take your word for it jamie you said you liked it i think i remember having some issues with it but overall i thought it was kind of a creepy thing because you know creepy kids is something that i always i always really enjoy As a matter of fact i have a creepy kid one on my list but um yeah i think i do recall having some issues with it i think what it was was that i think that the characters in that film made some really stupid choices at times you know like why would you do that but um overall you can usually get me with kids and i don't remember it being all that bad you have a creepy kid on your lawn too taking a piss did you look at the yes one? i do <laughs> just so you know i'm not your neighbor <laughs> See, this is why this segment is actually good. I'm already going to watch both these movies now. This is working out. Now I'm going to do one. It's a movie called Leviathan. <gasps> I love Leviathan. Yeah, you heard of this? Oh, hell yeah. As, as I love that movie. I love er Ernie Hudson in that movie. Actually, it's really funny because earlier when we were talking about covering the Universal Monsters, right. I think we were. this is before we were actually on the air, and Tony said, what was that you referred to him? A... a 
a Dracula. And I was like, Dracula. Well, there's a scene in Leviathan where Ernie Hudson says, oh, now we have a Dracula on board. Yeah. And I I just, I, I love that. That always reminds me of my grandmother because she never used the word vampire. Every, you know, if, if vampire ever came up, they were always a Dracula or Dracula, (laughs) as she said. But, um, so every time I see that scene, it cracks me up. I love him in that movie. And that just, to me, that's a fun movie. I like it a lot. I had I had an old uh, like Italian uncle. He was in the hospital one time, and he uh, I don't I, I think there was a Buffy the Vampire Slayer marathon going on or something, and and I went in there to visit him. He's a real Italian, real Jersey guy, and, and I I said, uh, hey, uh, how's it going? What do you what have you been doing in here all this time? You know that you've been in here, and he goes, yeah, I'm watching this Buffy the Vampire Slayer show. And I go, oh, yeah? Is that any good? He goes, yeah, it's about this Jew broad who kills Draculas. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all righty. So, yeah, Leviathan. It's 1989. Uh, it stars, like you said, Ernie uh, something. Hudson. Hudson, yeah. Um, actually, it has a couple famous people. It has the dude from uh, Home Alone, Daniel Stern. Daniel Stern. Uh, it has the, the cop from RoboCop. Peter Weller. Yep. It has the chick. I think she used to be in like I can't remember. I want to say it's like Fall Guy or something like that, but um, I can never remember her name. But she's the one who is in the towel, the really hot chick. Yeah. Uh, so the the premise is really great. These guys are like deep sea uh, water. Oh, Tony, have you seen this? I have not. Okay. I haven't even heard of it until this past week. Was it a, a Scream Factory coming out with it? Or? Yeah, I just got it. And I watched. It. That's how I got it. They just released the Blu-ray, so uh, <clears throat> so it's about these deep sea uh, divers who you know explore under the ocean. They collect things that are valuable, things like that. They bring it to surface and do whatever. And uh, while they're down there, they they find a ship called Leviathan, and they go through it and they take a a, a safe out of it. They bring it back to their submarine, I guess. And uh, they open it up, and there's liquor in there, and there's a couple other things in there. So, you know, they're still professionals. They have, like, two days left. They're not really allowed to drink the liquor, and it's vodka. So uh, they hide it and stuff, and they eventually get in it, and uh, they drink it. Daniel uh, – well, well, who cares? A little bit of a spoiler. Daniel Stern drinks it and this other chick. And what it does is uh, it genetically mutates, like, whatever those Russians were working on. It was like genetic mutation stuff. They put it in the drinks. That's how they got their people to take it, you know, because anybody will drink alcohol. So that's how they tricked them into taking it. And uh, it's ba- they basically tested it on their own people. And uh, it all went wrong, and it all goes wrong again. And, it, and it's like it's mutants on a submarine, basically, and everyone's trapped on there. And, of course, more people get tainted or whatever you want to call it, and it gets worse and worse, and hopefully somebody survives. I think that, well, one, it has a really good score. Uh, the score was done by um, Jerry Goldsmith, who also did the score for Alien and Poltergeist and things like that. So it's got that. I think it sort of reminds me of a cross between Alien and The Thing. Yes. But under but underwater. Yep. And it has some pretty cool effects. There's a There is one scene where you get... 
um, you get to see the creature, like what it has become. And then you can still see the faces of the people who've been <laughs> morphed into it. And they're alive. I mean, like these, these they're still alive. And it, that's just a horrific thought, you know, that you have been consumed by this thing or become part of this giant thing. And yet you still have your own senses. You still know what's going on to an extent, I guess. Well, um, yeah, they were conscious. They knew what was going on and who the people around them were, but they had no control over what their bodies did. Yeah, see, and that's really freaky. And that's that's dipping into Cronenberg right there. like the Body, body horror. horror. <laughs> so you must love it. I, re- I really do like it. I really like that movie. It's um, It came out roughly the same. I think it was just a few months apart from Deep Star 6. And if you've ever seen that one, then don't at all judge Leviathan <laughs> based on uh, Deep Star Six because now not good. Oh, plus you've got that great scene at the end where Peter Weller just punches Meg Foster right <laughs> in the face, yep. which is just fantastic. I love that he just walks by and just decks <laughs> her. You know when they realize that this whole thing has been when they realize you know how they got into this mess. Well, she basically said that she already condemned them to death and made the report. You know. Yeah, and then she told them, she's like, there were no rescue people coming. There was no, she kept telling them, the weather's too bad, we can't get out there to save you. Yeah, there was no hurricane. Yeah, weather's totally clear. She never planned to save them. And so it's just, you know, you have this whole, like, corporate monster thing versus, uh, like, real monster thing. And it's just, I don't know, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it a lot. Yeah, and it's it's high quality. This is not, like, a shit movie. I mean, it was probably swept under the rug because... um, well, I don't know. Maybe I think I want to say Deep Star Six actually came out first, and maybe after people saw that, they were like, eh. <laughs> like maybe they just were turned off by other underwater movies. I don't know. What about the or abyss? maybe people saw the trailer and thought, um, you see, that's another good one. Maybe people saw the trailer and thought it looks like the thing and Alien, and why would I want to see that when I've already seen it before? Um, but the thing is, it is it is sort of like an amalgamation of those two ideas, and I really think I just like any kind of film where you're in a situation that you are completely trapped and you cannot get out if you're underwater or in space they both work pretty much the same way i mean and then you have the interior of uh, of an underwater craft and the interior of a spacecraft look very similar uh, in movie world so um you know i think if you like claustrophobic films where you're trapped on if you really like alien then give this a shot because i think you'll dig it and also the thing just because it's you never know who it's going to get next kind of thing. Nice. So, Tony, are you sold? I am. I am, definitely. Cool. Huh? We're three for three. All right, Jamie, go ahead. Okay, next up, this is one of my favorite movies. I love this movie. This is uh, Steven Spielberg's first uh, feature-length film. It was a TV movie called Duel in 1971, and it's basically a, a really – mean truck driver who is running this guy down and he's this guy is just trying to get from one place to another he's driving out through the desert it's dennis weaver plays the the lead role the majority of the film is just dennis weaver in his car and you've got this truck driver who's trying to run him down and there's no no reason for it he's (laughs) he hasn't done anything to him he hasn't um, cut him off or anything he hasn't provoked him in any way it's just this guy is clearly an asshole and I mean, and you see kind of like Joyride and, and, you know, you see movies like that. Um, but this was like the first one. And it's really fun because if when you get to the very end of the film, there's a scene where the truck is going over a cliff and it 
and there's this like roaring sound. Well, if you pay attention, the roaring sound that you hear when the truck goes over the cliff is the exact sound that the shark makes when it explodes in Jaws. And that is some stock dinosaur sound footage that Spielberg got a hold of back then, but he used it again when he made Jaws, which I think is like a fun little thing. But it's a sharks don't roar, right? No, they don't. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I guess neither do trucks. But <laughs> it's a very tense film. It's um, it's you know it just it keeps you sort of on the edge of your seat because you never really know what uh where this guy's gonna pop up and every time he every time dennis weaver thinks he's gotten away then here this guy comes again and it's just one thing after another and dennis weaver does a really good job of basically playing this movie by himself there are a couple of scenes with other people but for the most part it's just him in his car and he's talking to himself a lot but i think he pulls it off really well and you never see the truck driver you you don't i mean so it's basically a monster truck is, is, you know, there's a driver there. You see his hand on occasion, but you never see his face. So it's pretty creepy. Wow. Well, there you go. Uh, killer with no explanation and nobody gives a goddamn. So that's great. <clears throat> I uh, actually have seen this movie. Uh, problem is I've seen it about 10 years ago. So I do, I do remember being into it, and although the, the plot is very simplistic, obviously, as you just mentioned, um, it doesn't seem to matter. It's, uh, it's intense the whole time, and you don't even know why you care about the guy who's getting run over, right? There's no real reason to care about him, right? Except for... No, not really. I mean, he's just a regular guy. Our instinct for survival is what we basically place it into this character. And I think there's a there's that whole element of it could, you know, it could happen. You're out in the middle of nowhere. This guy just decides he wants to he wants to run you down. There's no one to stop him, you know, and he's got this big powerful truck and um so it it's not completely outside the realm of possibility that something like this could happen. So that just adds a little bit of scary to it. It adds, you know, it's realism. Yeah. And basically we instinctively hate other drivers, so it works anyway. <laughs> <laughs> there's that too. Yeah. So Tony, have you seen this? I've not. Uh, it's, is it better or less good than the Hitcher? I mean, they're they're different in a lot of ways, but I might actually like this one better. I don't. It could that could be nostalgia though, that because they used to show that they used to show that they used to, bleh, they used to show Duel on TV really late at night all the time when I was growing up, and so I saw it a bunch that way. So it's just one of those movies that was always there. And I always, if I see it on TV, I'm like, hell yeah. So that could cloud it a little bit. Um, but I think I like it slightly more than The Hitcher, but only slightly because I really, really love The Hitcher. I really think you, if for nothing else, then this will give you an idea of where Steven Spielberg came from. And I think if you watch this film, then it'll make some of his later films uh, make even more sense. Like you can see a lot of the tension that he used in this film. He then later used in Jaws. Oh, I'll finally understand. Stand by me. Perfect. <laughs> okay, maybe not that one, um, but you can kind of see where he where he grew as a filmmaker. You know. Yep. Cool. All right, Tony. What's your next pick for recommend? Uh, I got one I want to talk about. Um, I'm not really a fan of. Asian or Korean um, horror cinema. Okay, we'll skip this one. Okay, now my pick is I, I've watched the movie about. No, okay. <laughs> I like uh, I like their their crime stuff, uh, like Old Boy and I Saw the Devil and stuff like that. But one film that blew my mind—that's probably the first film I ever purchased online—was Battle Royale. 
I feel like it's a film that everybody talks about or says they have seen, but you never actually hear people talk about it. Wait, Battle Royal? Is this yeah. the one with the uh, a bunch of kids in a yes. big mountain type thing? Yes. Oh, dude, I love this movie. The one that people compare to The Hunger Games a lot. Exactly. Yeah, this is really good. This doesn't uh, this doesn't get enough discussion time. I mean, where this movie accelerates versus any American ripoff is, you know, they take the time to develop every single character, even expendable ones. You get backstories, you get motivations, you get actual real characters that you know motivates their actions. Basically, what happens is this is uh, you know near future, you know somewhere in Asia, and basically kids are getting out of control, so. Parents and teachers have developed a program called Battle Royale where once a year, you know, they take all these kids and they throw them on an island and they basically have to kill each other in three days so there's only one left um, to teach them a lesson, I guess. Not sure that whole part, but... (laughs) Yeah, they learned. (laughs) The cool part is, I mean, you're given supposedly a random backpack, which, you know, has one weapon, which could range anything from uh, a frying pan to a shotgun to a GPS tracker. And if you, you know, try to escape, your head gets blown off by a neck collar. You know, if you basically the equivalent of video game camping, your head gets blown off by a collar. So they're really forcing you to really go after these classmates and kill everybody. Running man. Yeah, exactly. That's basically where the story drives from. But like I said, the way they evolve it, it just, I mean, you have American ripoffs like Condemned, like the whole Hunger Games series. But like I said, what separates this film is the... Just, I mean, you got, you know, 20 to 30 some kids and you know them all by name, you know, all their personalities, who they're friends with, if they're being true to character, if they take a huge character arc being placed in situation, you're not seeing one guy run around, you know, go kill, you know, 10 people. It, it happens, but basically for every death, you get, you know, a scene involving, you know, the person that's doing it, the person that's dying. And it just builds for this whole huge environment that you American cinema doesn't take the time to build characters and build a world like this and you know they just do an amazing job of really putting you in this situation and it's it's unbelievable that you know a foreign film can still tell a story like this over three days and you know make everything so impactful when if you would get an American remake of this you'd have one character you wouldn't know anyone else's names and they would just be running and killing people and it'd basically be pointless isn't that always the way with the American movies <sighs> yeah they they just dumb everything down, but I mean, this has got great gore, but I mean, just the story and the filmmaking. I can't think of another film where it takes this many characters and actually, you know, develops every one of them. Yeah, yeah, yep. Jamie, you seen this? I have, I have, and I have to agree. It's it's an excellent film. Yeah, it's pretty hardcore. I guess I'm up. So, um, this is, <clears throat> you know, guys, like you could name horror movies that you feel like everybody has heard and uh they really believe it or not have never come across the movie so this isn't that strange to mention this this is a basket case from 1982 <laughs> <laughs> uh <clears throat> this is uh you know there's no stars to mention nothing like that <clears throat> all right so um this guy he was born and when he was born he had like a uh, deformed twin sticking out of his body basically uh you know out of his side or something like that and 
So I think, you know, I don't, believe it or not, I don't know this well enough to even describe it that well, but, because I, I saw it years ago, and I, only, I think I've only seen it twice, but years ago. And uh, so they, they remove this, this lump of flesh that has a, a face and stuff, and they somehow keep it alive, and the brother grows up to walk around with this brother of his, which is just a lump of uh, arms and a blob with a face on it. But it's all flesh, and he's in a basket. He just wa- that's why it's called basket case. And he just walks around with this thing, and uh, it's kind of temperamental and stuff. And if what, how, how's it work, Jamie? If if anybody crosses this kid, this thing goes and kills it or something. Yeah, I mean that's that's what it yeah, is. Yeah, that's basically the idea. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Tony, have you seen this one? I have not. Ah, oh, Jamie, do you recommend this? <laughs> I do, yeah. Um, this was made, but this is a Frank Hennenlauter film. And if you know movies like, um, oh, what's that? Um, what's that Hooker movie? Uh, hook, uh, Dead Hooker in the Trunk? No, Frankenhooker. Um, it's the same guy who made Frankenhooker and um, uh, Bad Biology. Um, basically, really low budget movies, but um, they're out there. I mean, like he's yeah, he's pretty out there. So I recommend this. Sure, I think that I think that. Um, you know what? I just watched a movie, a, a new movie called Bad Milo. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that is a very similar premise. Is that good? Not really. No. No, I mean it's it it it's billed as a comedy and a horror film, but there are absolutely no horror elements within it. I mean, there is blood and there's a little creature killing people, but it's treated as such an all-out comedy that. Um, there's no atmosphere. There's no. There's nothing that you look for in your typical <laughs> horror films. It's just pretty much straight comedy. Um, but it's it's kind of a similar premise to that. So basically, yeah, you piss off this guy, and and the little brother's gonna go. I guess he's not a little brother. Yeah, he's not younger. He's just. Yeah, he's little. not as little. He's just <laughs> actually little. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> yeah it's it's uh, it's a great little movie. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I recommend it. They actually believe it or not. This movie is so beloved, in, in case you never heard of it, um, that they made two sequels to this, and they got the original ki- kid who was the you know one the, the the normal brother, and I guess they got the same piece of clay to come back in the movie, and uh, they were both in the second one, and <clears throat> I think it was like they almost didn't get the the, the Siamese brother or the the twin brother because he was demanding too much in his contract and so they almost had to go with another lump of clay but they ended up talking him into it at the very last minute they did uh, I think it th- what was the dispute a, tra- a trailer and he wanted uh, six cases of Avion water and uh, he wanted eight packages of Oreo cookies and he wanted flowers around the trailer yeah, and I think he wanted, like, direct TV in his basket or something. Right, because it was football season when they shot it. If you notice, it's around October, November, so. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, it's a great movie. It's not much to be said. I mean, that's about it. And there is, like, a really bizarre, uh, I don't know, it's not even a dream sequence. I'll just say it's a guy jogging in the street, but I'm not going to give any more details besides that. And it's, it's pretty um, disturbing, to say the least. Unless you like 70s porn. That's my pick. Uh, Jamie, you're up. I have a movie from the 70s. This is, and I think, Alex, I think this will interest you simply because of who the director is. But this is Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things from 1973. It's a zombie film. 
made by Bob Clark. Mm. <laughs> and uh, it's very different from a Christmas story. <laughs> <laughs> Not much. But it's um, the idea is that there is an acting troupe that goes to this remote island, and uh, Alan, the leader of the the leader of the group, played by Alan Ormsby, he has this whole plot to raise the he wants to raise the dead. So he goes through this whole like, and he has this book of magic spells, and he calls out Satan, and he sprinkles stuff on these corpses that they've dug up, and he's going to raise the dead. Well, nothing nothing seems to happen, and the the whole thing is an elaborate joke. They have two actors buried in the ground, dressed as zombies. And the whole idea is that they're going to come up and they're going to scare everyone and then they're just going to end up having a big party. But they take one of the corpses back to the little house where they're having a party. And they're very irreverent with the entire thing. I mean, it is just the whole thing is, is this is what can happen if you fuck around, basically. And so they're, um, they make fun of things and they mistreat the corpses and, you know, and it all just does not bode very well. Well, then as it turns out, the spell actually works. And before you know it, they are under siege from all of these zombies from, you know, from that actually do come out of the ground of the cemetery. So there are some truly goofy moments in this film. And if you, you know, if you look at what everyone's wearing and you look at all their haircuts and, and uh, some of the acting is over the top. It's very 70s. <clears throat> but toward the end especially, there is a scene that just haunts me. It just sort of sticks with me. And it's just one – it's pretty much the last shot of the film. But it's just – it's very creepy. And this is one that I've just always enjoyed um, because it's not your – these are not your Romero zombies, even though this is between – and and dawn of the dead it's you know there are some there are some fun moments there are some truly creepy moments and so i i recommend checking that out particularly if you are a fan of bob clark this will give you an idea of um something else that he's done apart from this and black apart from a christmas story and black christmas he also did yeah black christmas i said it's as good as halloween and Ryan Lewis, uh, a future guest on the show, he agrees with me that Black Christmas is as good as Halloween. It's Black just Christmas is amazing. Oh my God, perfect! Uh, I'm gonna hope Tony is not uh, 0 for five here. Tony, have you seen <laughs> Children Don't Play with Dead Things? No, <laughs> oh, but I really, really, really want to. It's on the list. I know of this one. <laughs> Good, you should. I would be interested to see what you think. This is, um, and I've watched this with people. I've introduced this with people, and it can go either way. Some people really like it. Some people can't get the get past the fact that it's extremely dated because it is. Like I said, with what they're wearing, and um, it, it's very dated. But some people can't get past that. But some people really do enjoy it. So I, I never really know how people are going to take it. I can't predict it, but I just recommend it. I say I think you should watch it at least once. Yeah. I- I definitely want to. We're going to have some busy VCRs this month. <laughs> VCR. Or should I say, play buttons on the computer. Because, you know, nobody buys anything anymore. <laughs> Interesting you should say VCR, though, because you know they're doing um, The Ring 3D. Mm-hmm. And they're also, it is still centered around a VHS tape. What? And I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> because if someone co- – I mean I still have a VCR and a lot of people still do. But you know, by and large, 
most people these days do not. And if you were to come across a videotape, you wouldn't be able to do anything with it anyway. So that's not going to be really scary to to most people. I wouldn't know what to do with it. They wouldn't know what to do with it. <laughs> They're not going to get haunted by Samara because they they can't even watch it. Right. Yeah, we'll be fine. <laughs> <clears throat> so where were we? That was you, Jamie, and now Tony's next. Yes. I'm going to follow Jamie's lead and go with uh, a children movie also. But, however, I'm going to go in the category of so bad it's awesome. Uh, children of the Corn 2, The Final Sacrifice. Probably the first horror movie I've seen from start to finish. I, was, I don't remember how old I was, extremely young. But, uh, yes, this is the sequel to the 1980-something Children of the Corn, Stephen King adaptation. And The Final Sacrifice is like the eight-year-later sequel in a nine-film series. Um, this film basically takes place um, a couple months after the ending of the first film, which was in the 80s, and now we're in the 90s. We're dressed like the 90s. They take all the remaining kids and shove them in the next town over. So that right there, you have plot holes to drive a truck through. But uh, this is B-movie cheese quality and goodness all over it. One of the first kills of the movie is like a, a simulation of um, Wizard of Oz, basically. It's like this old woman whose house is raised up from the ground for some reason. I think it's like a portable house. And uh, these kids pick up her cat and throw it under the house. So she'll have to crawl on the ground and look for the cat. And they drop the house on her. Thus, the Wizard of Oz legs hanging out and everything. <laughs> they also proceed then to mess with this lady's sister. Because um, she knows that they're evil kids. So this woman is in a wheelchair. So these group of uh, Amish-looking kids now in the 1990s, supposedly the 80s, devise a remote control device, um, like an RC-type car remote, to take over this woman's wheelchair. So this lady's strolling down the street in an electronic wheelchair, and these kids all of a sudden, you know, push her in front of a bus or something. That's the type <laughs> of movie you're dealing with here. <laughs> Early 90s... I think it was straight to DVD, but they did have this marking campaign, which uh, compared it to Home Alone. Oh, good. These kids are Home Alone, too, but their parents aren't coming home. <laughs> Do they get hit in the face with a paint can? <laughs> this movie is so bad, but man, from start to finish, it is entertaining. And as the years go by, it holds up for that value. It is not good cinema by any means, but you, you, there's no way you can watch it and not be entertained like this is a, a beer drinking movie this is get with your buddies and just like what the fuck were they thinking like how did they and the worst part is there's like seven or eight sequels after this like oh man. I, if you haven't seen this this is just one that you have to see like everyone's probably seen the classic children in the corner knows about it but man this sequel from the early 90s I, I recommend it just this is like I said nostalgia for me this whole series but I'll never forget this movie. Just it's it's so bad it is good. Jamie, you've seen this? Sorry, yes, I have. It's been a while. The Children of the Corn series is one of my franchises that I have to watch this year, and because uh, you know lately I've been going through franchises just beginning to end. I had to cool it for a while after the Amityville franchise because that really broke me. Um, and Hellraiser, I did those like right back to back, and that that was really rough. So I started. I watched Children of the Corn, the first one, and then I was just like, you know what? After this, 
I remember it being pretty downhill, so I'm going to chill on that for a while. So I have not watched <laughs> it any time recently, so I really have no recollection of how it is one way or the other. I want to see the one where Makai is 40 years old. It's it's Isaac. It's 666. Oh, Isaac. Yeah. How's yeah. that one? Huh. Horrible? Oh, yeah, horrible. What was it? Which is the one where they have, like, the garden in the city, but it's it's... Like the, oh, the, number three, Urban okay. Harvest. Yeah, oh my god. <laughs> and I actually Theron saw someone I saw someone say, oh god, it was one of our listeners said, oh, who was it? Said this weekend, why didn't anybody tell me Children of the Corn was so Children of the Corn 3 was so damn good? And I'm like, if that's the one I'm thinking of, it's not. <laughs> I, I commented on that. Uh, I said, are you, were you watching that as a joke? Or? Like, no, <laughs> who, I never Do you remember who it. said that? I, I do not. The, like Christopher Garber? The, I don't remember. Christ but, Graber. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I have to remember to call them their names as filtered through Alex's mind. Yes. Well, that I think Christ Graber was actually Matt Wazell's invention. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, Jamie, do you have any more uh, of these things? Or... Cause, uh... Yeah, I can throw one more in there. And this is um, this is from 2005, and it's Ellen Page and Patrick Wilson. It's called Hard Candy, and uh, this I is... want hard candy. <laughs> you don't want this hard candy. Let Uh-oh. me tell you. Um, uh, Ellen Page meets Patrick Wilson at a like a cafe kind of thing, and they've met online. And she goes back to his house. And in the, fr- in the front of the film. You're you're scared for her. You get this sort of weird vibe going on, and we'll just say the tables are turned at some point, and you find out some really dark things. It's a very dark film, and it's very difficult for men to watch in particular because of some things that happen, but it's really powerful. And this was my first introduction to Ellen Page, and this was she was much younger than um, obviously it was 2005, so this just sort of gave viewers an idea of what they could expect from her. She was a powerhouse performer in this film and it is, uh, it'll really get under your skin. So if you've not seen that, see it. It's really good. So guys, so they don't, they don't put a Tootsie Roll in a bad place, do they? <laughs> no, it's kind of worse than that. Oh my God. I seen it. I'll put it this way. If, uh, if everyone ever does me wrong, I'm going to pull a prank on them, similar to this movie. Yeah. <laughs> really? So you can survive? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's woo. It's a lesson learner. <laughs> All right, I'm going to learn you a lesson. I just, uh, I got, I got one more I want to hit on, if you guys don't mind. Um, it's, it's brand spanking new in terms of uh, Americans. Um, it's a Swedish film from 2012. I'm sure you guys heard me talk about this on Facebook. It's called Wither. It's basically um, the Swedish version of the Evil Dead. This film, I heard about it, and I just took the lunge and blind bought it. And I can't speak its praises enough. Um, If anyone's a fan of the Evil Dead remake, this is a must-see. I mean, put your 20 bucks down, just blind buy it. You won't be disappointed. Uh, It has all the strong points of the Evil Dead remake, but... In addition, it is actually scary and suspenseful, and it's a gore fest, but the moments leading up to that are, you know, insidious-like type suspense, butt-clinchy moments. And then when the gore comes, it's 
you know, everything you're getting in the Evil Dead remake, but it's it's longer, it's more characters, more situations, more scenery. Um, I mean, the people that made the film obviously made it as an homage to the Evil Dead, but it just came out around the same time as this U.S. remake, so it's hard not to compare the two. I'm a huge, huge fan of the Evil Dead remake, American, but this movie just blows it out of the water. And like I said, if you even like that a little bit at all and forget the plot holes or just nitpicking, if you were entertained, this movie is guaranteed to entertain you, um, you know, tenfold times that. Uh, it's newer, like I said. I don't, it's not even available in America. I don't think you can buy it off Amazon. I did. Like I said, I think I spent 20 bucks blind, but I would recommend everyone do the same because there's just not enough movies these days that come out of this quality. I mean, it's shot beautiful, great cinematography. Uh, Acting is pretty decent. Gore effects are great. Um, just, you know, out of the last couple of years, you know, just one of the best all around movies to come out. So I figured I'd throw that one in there and uh, sing his praises again and just hope that people seek it out. If it doesn't come so easily available, you know, don't be afraid to drop a couple of dollars on it because, uh, you know, like I said, if you're into that type of movie or horror films in general, this is a must see. And if you have to buy it to watch it, just do it. Yeah, I have not seen it but i do remember somebody talking about <clears throat> that it came out around the same time it's almost the same thing but it's going to get swept under the rug for evil dead uh yeah i mean that's that's cool man there, you know there's a movie called 13 eerie that we're going to be reviewing like pretty soon and uh it's a lot of evil dead-esque type moments and that was around the same year too that Catherine isabel yeah yeah mm-hmm. so uh no, i haven't seen that that's cool jamie you ever see withered i have not you got me <laughs> I was I was excited. I was doing real well up until that point, but you got me on that one. I have not seen it. But I will check it out. Because I love the Evil Dead remake, holy cow. And the Swedish make damn good films. Oh, wait. Oh, I gotta read? Uh, once shit hits the fan, there's not much reading. <laughs> oh, okay. Because I, I don't ever want to review or talk about a movie that you gotta read, so. <laughs> I just made you read one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was the joke, Jamie. That's the inside joke that people don't know that coming up next is a review of a French movie that uh, we're going to do because Tony wanted to, you know, he said, if I head to the dungeon, I think one thing I want to do is bring something you guys have not done and a French movie would be great. So we picked a French movie uh, that Jamie knew called Inside.
right, guys, Tony is still in the dungeon, and he's going to help us review a little French movie called A. Al Interior. That's the original title, and in America, it's called Inside. <laughs> this is a 2007 horror flick, uh, a French movie. Four months after the death of her husband, a woman on the brink of motherhood is tormented in her home by a strange woman who wants her unborn baby. Um, to name these people is a waste of time. They're all French. So you're really not going to go, oh, yeah. The budget was $3 million. That's pretty high, right? For a... For an indie, yeah. I mean, that's pretty respectable. They did quite a lot with it, too. I think, special effects-wise. Yeah, this is one of those movies where uh, they save money by just shooting scenes in a park, in a waiting room, and in a house. In one house. Which is probably just a big set. So... That's all it is. Most of the movie, I'd say 90% of the movie takes place in just a house. And and that's it. And it's one of those, you know, enclosed, obviously. You're trapped somewhere with somebody type movie. So uh, it's a pretty interesting story. Um, it's, a, it's a big twist. And, you know, Jamie, as I was watching it, I knew. I knew the twist. You did? Yeah, but you know what? I have seen this before. Oh, okay. I just forgot. And I don't know why I saw it. I have no idea who would have told me to watch this or why I would have sat through it me? a French... <laughs> I don't know. Because as the girl was in the bathroom and the the lady was on the outside in the hallway, like these visions just started coming to me. And I'm like, I know this movie. I really do. I've seen this before. But I still didn't know what was going to happen next or anything. Uh... Or that the big cutscene uh, that we'll get to, but so so we'll give some non-spoilers. Uh, Tony, what do you think of this movie overall? Um, I love this movie. Um, upon viewing, um, knowing the premise and the storyline, I stayed away to I stayed away from it for a while. Uh, I thought it was a bit gimmicky, but once I sat down and watched it, and I got to experience the French cinema. Oh my god, man! Uh, the suspense, the tension, the gore. Uh, it's it's a little too much to handle at times. Uh, by the time I get to the end of it, I'm squirming around, punching the air, got a pillow in front of my face, <laughs> acting like a little kid. Like it's 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 just it's grueling to get through, and it's it's overwhelming, and they just keep bumping themselves. But like I said, it's not for it's it's not it's not torture porn. It's not shock cinema. There's a story, an original one, and it's built upon suspense and tension and fear and it just escalates and just towards the end it gets just over the top but that's where the story takes it but yeah it is a it is a, a task to get through yeah there this movie is um you know intense if ev if everybody made indie horror like this we wouldn't have a problem you know, in the horror world, and when you see these $10 movies at Walmart every Tuesday, you'd buy them. Because they would be good. <laughs> they just wouldn't have been picked up by a big studio. Like, it's just amazing to watch a movie like this, and how well done it is, and uh, just everything. How well the, the story is written, and how well it's played out, and how well it's executed, and the gore, and everything. I mean, there's not... 
I can't even imagine what a complaint... I mean, I have one major complaint at the end. I think they tacked something in there. Tacked on a, a fucking jump or whatever kind of scare that was supposed to be. I don't know what the fuck that was. <laughs> but uh, it just ruined everything for me. Not really, because even when that's over with in a minute, it's back to normal. And it's- You're talking about the cop? Yeah. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> I, I, got, I got a couple explanations for that. Oh, thank God. They're not good, but I got them. <laughs> good. Zombie cop. <laughs> like, uh, so yeah, we'll get to that with spoilers, but uh, be forget about that one minute of I don't know what the fuck happened here. Um, this movie is is excellent. This, it's but here's the thing though, it's not the kind of movie that I would. Uh, you know how we talked about what is your favorite comfort movie and stuff like or TV shows or whatever. Like what what what's your go to just to have a good time or feel cozy or whatever the fuck. You know, like this is not that. Uh, this is if you want to watch a really well done great like thriller intense movie uh it's not something for fun i actually do think this movie is for fun i <laughs> i won't so there have been at least two times that i know of where i was just feeling really down i was homesick and i <laughs> needed something to do and it was like what can make me feel better sometimes i'll watch something like the omen but there have been at least two times when i popped in this movie True. because i'm dead serious i'm not even kidding i love it that much is it I have a real love for the French wave of extreme horror. And when you said that Tony threw that out there, that's something I have been trying to do for a very long time. Like I've wanted, I have been wanting to talk about the, the, the French horror films. This one in particular is my favorite of, of like frontiers and um, even more so than martyrs. I love martyrs, but this one um, I just, I love and when we get into spoilers, I can talk about it more. But there are things uh, about this film that just really speak to me, and I enjoy it. And the gore is just out of sight. And I have to say, like when Tony, when you were talking about like having the pillow over your face and punching the air, and um, last night I was watching this in preparation for the show, and Brian was laughing at me because <laughs> at the very end, I was watching the, the the scene on the stairs. I was watching it through my fingers. <laughs> And I still don't, to this day, I don't understand why I do that. Because I'm still watching the movie. <laughs> My fingers aren't keeping me from looking at the film. But for some reason, I feel... It's comforting. So, yeah, there's a you comfort safe. there if yeah. I'm watching it through my fingers. But I was. I was watching and and I have to... And I'm just making noises like, oh! You know? <laughs> because it's it's rough. It, it's like it just gets it gets to you. But in, in the very best of ways. It's so well done. It looks beautiful. It, it's... And don't say a word. <laughs> Don't mention stitches. Um. <laughs> and it doesn't look that beautiful. Uh, stitches is a different kind of beauty. But that's like it uh, is. It is. That's like a unicorns and bunny rabbits and rainbows <laughs> beauty. This is like fucking. This is like beautiful Evil Dead ending where it rains blood and. Yes, yes, uh, it's that kind of beautiful. And if you know you want to see blood and you want to see just intense, uh, just violence but but not I mean this is not gratuitous violence it's not it's like Tony said it's not torture porn it's not it's not even close to that this everything here has a reason and it fits beautifully within the film within the story and it's just it's really well made so that was as soon as you said he mentioned French cinema I was like this is what I want this is what I want to watch (laughs) you're like great excuse excuse perfect (laughs) And um, I'm really glad to hear that you like it as much as you do, because 
that always, you know, that always makes me happy whenever I throw a movie out there and you enjoy it. Um, yes, thank you. It's because I've, I've missed really only once. I think that was Squirm. <laughs> you didn't miss. It's just it wasn't as eventful as as I was hoping. I think. Yeah. Well, in the end, you know, upon me watching it fresh, it it really wasn't all that eventful. It wasn't as eventful as it could have been. So right. I concede that one. But you know, like with Cronenberg films and everything, I've been pretty much batting a thousand, and um, yes. so that makes me really happy. Tony, did you had you seen this one before we were talking about it here? Yeah, I seen it when it first came out in the States. I should have seen it sooner, but I walked by it many times in Blockbuster. And like I said, the belly and the scissors and the cover art, I I had to hear through word of mouth before I actually gave it a chance to actually watch it. Yeah, I know people who avoid this film because they have children or, you know, and just knowing that the the premise of it, they don't want to watch it because they have children or whatever. Um, You know, I don't... have children. I don't know if it would bother me if I did because oh, I. Oh no! It, it was before I even had my daughter. It was just I didn't want to see a chick try to steal another chick's baby. I just, as being a guy, I just I thought I would have no interest in that story at all. I thought it would be forced, and you know, I was completely wrong once I actually watched it. But uh, uh, initial premise, I thought it had nothing for me, so I skipped over it for a couple months. Okay, so you weren't, you didn't think it would disturb you. You just thought it wouldn't be interesting. Exactly, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, but, well, I'm glad that you found it interesting. He found it interesting. Interesting. <laughs> but this is by, this is, yeah, this is uh, when we had that nice wave of, of French horror, and the French know how to do horror. They really do. And this is a shining example of that. Yes. Uh, we should have a battle one day. American, Asian, French, and Italian horror. Nobody? No? Okay. It's not, I, hell, I would... Hell yeah, I'd be down for that. I would be down for that. It depends a decade. (laughs) All right. Uh, All right, well, that's our our non-spoiler review. So now we're going to get into this. So the movie starts off with a a car accident. So, well, first starts off with a baby in a a womb. And you can hear what the mom is saying. Then all of a sudden the kid's head gets popped, like, from the back. And uh, you're like, okay. Then all of a sudden you see these two cars that collided, and you're like, oh, I get it. Then you see a pregnant woman in her car. Uh, The guy next to her, his head went through the windshield. She's alive. Four months later, it cuts, and she still has the baby. And um, she's sitting on a table. She looks insanely depressed uh, because I guess you figure, you know, the kid's going to be retarded or something. You don't know. So, um, then you find out the guy died that was with her and that was her husband. So she's pretty much depressed. I mean, four months ago, the guy's dead. Happened in, like, September. So it's Christmas and the kid's going to be born, like, right around now. And, uh, it's very depressing. I mean, I I, I wondered why and how is this going to be entertaining or fun at all. But, um, you know, you get get to the very... Because I know you guys want to talk about the scene in the hospital... This know-it-all bitch, of course, you know, any time a, a woman's been there or done that, they always got to make you feel like you're a kid. And uh, Jamie, what was she saying? Like, there was a nurse that came up to this. 
oh, distraught creepy woman. creepy as hell nurse, too. And sort of like a, it, you know, a little bit of a red herring there because you're like, oh, this woman's creepy as shit. What's she going to do? Um, but then she doesn't, you know, she does, you don't ever see her again. But there's just a nice creepy moment where this old nurse comes and sits down and she's like, it's your first one, I'll bet. And uh, she's like, oh, I have four children. And let me tell you, my first one, it was awful. Like, I was in so much pain. I've never had so much pain in my life. And that's not the kind of thing yeah. you want to tell a woman who's about to drop a baby. You know, <laughs> you don't want to just nail it into her head exactly how painful it's going to be. And then she starts – she's sitting next to this woman, and she starts to light up a cigarette. And right. Or the nurse comes walking through, and she's like, you know that you can't smoke in here. So um, then – she says uh, she makes a wise crack about, you know, the people in the hospital. And then uh, our heroine turns to her and calls her a twat, which is <laughs> which is fantastic. <laughs> and then the woman just sort of gets up and uh, she quietly gets up and just sulks away, which um, that's just a fun little scene. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. It's just um, kind of gives you an idea that it, it does give you a look into our character and that she is suffering no fools at this point. She has. Um, throughout, she kind of has a depressed, just bad attitude. You know, she doesn't give a shit about Christmas. It is Christmas Eve, and she's going to be, and they're going to be inducing labor on Christmas Day. And you know, her mother wants her to come and spend Christmas with her, and she's like, "No, I want to be alone." And and you know, she just is very negative about the whole thing. She doesn't give a shit about Christmas. She says that um, she doesn't want this baby. We don't know if she wanted this baby before her husband was killed or not. You can only assume that she did. But then since he has gotten killed, it's it's nothing. I think it's nothing but a a bad reminder for her, you know, and now she is she sees it more as a as a burden that she's going to be saddled with and that she doesn't and as well as a reminder of how her husband got killed. It really this everything about this baby is negative to right. her. And um she just is not having any of it. Tony, how do you interpret the the scene? You know, she's uh, dreaming, and in the dream, she keeps puking up this white shit, and then the baby jumps out of her mouth. And knowing the whole movie, I mean, is that? Do you guys interpret that as anything other than just a random dream? I think uh, Jamie said's right. She doesn't want the baby. She doesn't want it inside of her. When it gets out, she doesn't want it. And I think the dream is, you know, um, her subconscious, the baby, also not wanting to be a part of her anymore and not waiting until it's time to come out, just making its escape because, you know, she's kind of said, fuck you to the baby. And that's in the dream state, the baby's way of saying, you know, fuck you too. Like, I don't want to be a part of you anymore. I don't want to be inside of you. So, you know, this is my escape route. I mean, it comes, it basically tears her open coming out through her mouth in the dream. And I, I think that's how she like m- like her subconscious is viewing what it's going to be like. You know, this is a this is a, an experience she is not in any way looking forward to. Right. Yeah. They both want out of this relationship. I guess maybe that's her interpretation. If you don't want something, you assume it doesn't want you also. So I don't know. Maybe or at least it's how you cope with it, because if you felt the baby wanted you, it would be more difficult to not want it. Um, there's also a scene that sort of drives home how much she does not want this child and well, actually, there are several later on, but there, but there's one in the beginning where she's sitting in a park and she's a photographer. She's sitting in a park and she sees a family. It's a, a man, a woman, and a, a little child, like a toddler. And most people, particularly if you're about to have a baby, if you're about to, if you're looking forward to having a baby of your own, 
this scene playing out in front of you would make you smile. You know, it, it's something like, oh, how sweet. It's a family and they're playing. But she just has this look on her face like, what the fuck? You know, I mean, just this a very distasteful. Yeah, but then like, she starts photographing it, though. She does. And but I think that's just, you know, she's a photographer. That's what they do. But it, there's no joy. There's no joy on her face. It's it's completely like it looks like she has tasted something bad. And I think that that pretty much illustrates exactly how she feels about this, you know, because like I said, if you see, I mean, even, you know, even I will smile if I see a little toddler playing in the park with their family. It's a sweet thing. It's a sweet moment. And you don't want a kid. And right. And so. Because they'll piss on your lawn. She, right. (laughs) (laughs) And she clearly is, is not touched by this in any way. I mean, it, it disgusts her no there's there's a lot more going on in this scene um before we get to this scene she's walking with i think it's her mother and her mother's asking her about her boss um kind of hinting if they're romantic and you haven't seen the boss yet and you assume maybe he's a peer maybe good looking maybe a guy trying to swoop in and save her well when you finally meet her boss he's this older you know not what you were imagining from the previous scene and what this guy does is She's on a park bench, and he picks up his telephone. Instead of walking behind the bench to pace to make his phone call, (laughs) he keeps walking in front of her camera, walking in front of her camera, walking in front of her camera. And I think this illustrates more of uh, us to feel sympathetic for her because I don't know her husband or what he was, but I assume at this point he is a real great guy because it seems like she's only left with shitty people in her life. So it makes us feel more sorry for her. Just a small, you know, motion of this guy walking in front of her when he clearly knows what she's doing. He doesn't give a shit about her, you know. Yeah, he's not. He's not. He doesn't make any. He just and he does it several times, and she sort of does this thing every time. She's like, Ugh. you know, like really, you, know, you can't go around. You see me doing this, yeah. and yeah, yeah, the whole uh, yeah. Part. and it's just. I think that's. Um, yeah, I mean, she's surrounded by at least what she perceives to be shitty people. I don't, I don't see. We don't know anything about her relationship with her mother beforehand, but she calls her mother by her first name. Typically, when when someone calls their parent by their first name, it, it there is something that hasn't been all that nurturing about that relationship. Not all the time, but uh, that's it's. I think that that's how it's used in this film. I think that we're meant to draw from that that they don't have a very close mother daughter relationship, you know. And the fact that she doesn't want to spend Christmas with her, she doesn't want her around. Her mother calls and says that she wants to come to the hospital with her when she gives birth because they're going to induce labor, and she's like, "No, I don't want you there. You don't need to be there. I can do this on my own." Well, who in their right mind wants to have a baby with no one else there, particularly if your mother wants to be there, if it's a normal relationship? That's not that's not the usual. So she doesn't appear to have anyone that she really is all that close with. And even this guy who she he's going to be her boss is going to be the one taking her to the hospital. So she clearly turned to him rather than to rather than to her mother. Even he is so inconsiderate of her. At least at this point, that he just doesn't even make, you know, make. He doesn't even really notice that she's there and what she's doing, and he just continues to walk in front of her. So, yeah, she has clearly no very strong, uh, loving relationships uh, surrounding her. Yeah, she once she lost her husband, she's become completely isolated, and that's how she's going to live it out. You know, sometimes when you're that way, you can't get out of that own trap that 
has been created for you and you you give in and you uh it feeds on itself it feeds itself you know the isolation does feed itself and the the more you become it the more you kind of make it happen in a way so <clears throat> yeah it all makes sense um well uh so basically this the the way this all really kicks into gear is she gets a knock on the door when she's home uh and some lady says, you know, can you help me, blah, blah. She says, no, I can't. My husband's sleeping. Like, don't don't bother me. Then the lady eventually goes, no, your husband's not sleeping. He's dead. She goes, what? How do you know? She goes, let me in, Sarah. She goes, how do you know me? She goes, let me in and you'll see. So she doesn't let her in. Lady breaks a window, stands there, smokes cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> She's very French. <laughs> yeah, very French. She's into the cigarettes. Every, she can't even, like, kill someone without having a cigarette. So uh, she uh, calls the cops. They come by, uh, and the lady's gone. So you know, whatever. The the pregnant lady eventually is sleeping on a bed. This lady gets into her house. The one who was knocking on the door earlier. I think the first the way she wakes her up is she uh, she takes shears. Shears. Like, yeah. Yeah, and pokes a hole in her big pregnant oh, belly. Oh God! And that wakes her up. You know, she that uh, disturbed her, her sleep. And she gets up, and then Lady takes those shears and stabs her in the face. And uh, they struggle. She gets popped in the... The lady gets popped in the head with a lamp from the pregnant girl. Then the pregnant girl runs and hides in the bathroom. And then she's pretty much there for the duration of the movie. Uh, and, you know, as you would imagine, people come by. Uh, you know, she's in there long enough. It's time to pick her up. This one comes by. The mom comes by to check on her. And, like, just tons of shit ensues. People dying left and right. Um, I mean, to get to specifics... Well, Jamie, what would you have done at that point? I mean, do you ever think about things like that? If you're in the bathroom and this psycho's out there and she's, you know, trying to kill you... And she even, I think, lets her know fairly early that she wants her baby. She says, you don't want it. How, do, how does she know that she doesn't want the baby? Well, I get the impression that she has been, well, she knows where she lives. You know, she knows all about her. Well, and we know why she knows who she is, but she knows where she lives. I think she has been, you know, in the past four months, she's been keeping an eye on her. You know, I think she, it's fairly obvious to her that how this woman feels about life in general and this baby in particular. And uh, well, one other thing I wanted to mention real quick was that um, there, mean in the meanwhile, there are riots going on outside yeah. in the city yeah. and which makes it that much more interesting that she doesn't want anyone with her that she doesn't want i mean you know you're pregnant you're in the middle of the city where these riots are going on and you don't you know she doesn't want to, to have anything to do with anyone in, a, in an already dangerous possibly dangerous situation um which also means that the police are going to be very busy i mean they they make the point of saying they've got everyone on they've got everyone on the streets doing their cop thing so um Response time clearly isn't all that quick because uh, it takes them a while to get there after the first time she calls them. If she's already going to bed or whatever. But um, as far as her, how she knows, I think she just has been watching her. And I think she just has gleaned it from that. That's the, that's the only thing I can She's fixated on her. Tony, do you have any insight into that? No, they kind of show when she's developing pictures, um, when she is at the park, they show the one photo and. They zoom in, and I try to look in the bushes to see if I can make out a face or anything, but I have yet to see it. But 
the way it's shot, I think it implies that she sees that the lady was in the park that day. She was taking the photos. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It is her, I think. So well, yeah, that right there, like I said, it uh, it um, it signifies the stalking aspect. So yeah, for the four months, she's probably on her tail. Right. Yeah. And since you don't know, I mean, that lady very well could have been sitting next to her at any any point in the waiting room or or anything. Yeah, she could be next to her on the bus in the park. You know, in the following her in the supermarket. Um, like, like ghost face. <laughs> she could have been like <laughs> running in the supermarket when you're grabbing a Arizona iced tea out of those big freezers, <laughs> you know, it's it, cause she could be anywhere. Cause you don't know that that's who's, you don't know anything that gets a random person basically, you know? So, um, you know, shit gets bloody, man. Uh, it's, it's, it's insane. The lady wants her baby. Um, I mean, what, what what would be better way to to do this? Is it better to just say who she is and then say what she went through to make this happen, or is it better to uh, give the reveal in the review as it was told in the story? I mean, I, I don't know. The first time I seen this, I I didn't think it was a twist. I caught on all along from the very opening monologue. I I knew which perspective it was coming from, and uh, so you guessed viewing, that there was someone I, else pregnant in the I, other car. I, no, I didn't even think it was a guess. I just thought it was common knowledge. I figured that, you know, that first scene of that, you know, image that it's what we perceived and then it shows Sarah in the waiting room pregnant and I just knew that that was different of what they showed us. I wasn't convinced that, you know, so I thought it was common knowledge that there was, you know, another situation involved in the situation and that it would give motive for all this. It was clearly not their intent, for you to know that, though, I mean, they they went to great pains to cover that up uh, because we see the two of them in the car. We never see the who's in the other car. You know, all we know is that there was a baby. You know, and so it, I think it's clear that the filmmakers did not intend for you to know that ahead of time. They they the idea was that they wanted to spring it on you at the end. Right. Just that, that opening monologue is just sounds like it's coming from somebody who's nuts. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have a, a crazy lady showing up at your doorstep. It was, all right, that adds up. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, but who really thinks about it, though? I mean, if if you're putting that much thought into it in the opening scene, like, so, like okay, who would say this to their baby? A nut. I mean, I don't know. Well, you know you know the premise tried. of the movie. You know the premise of the movie. I didn't know the premise. going to show up show up to what well, or maybe that's what it is but yeah i knew somebody's gonna show up to oh, okay. want to physically cut the baby out so who who would who would be the number one person that would want to do that oh that's different hey i didn't know anything. somebody who wants a baby why would you know it all it all adds up if you like i said if you know the premise right. but yeah yeah initially when i the verse the first time i viewed this film i didn't know anything about it I just knew that it was a new French horror film, and I was loving the French at the time. So, oh, whoa, whoa! Don't say that. Don't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I, so I watched it, and I purposely try not to. I, I like to let the director take me where the director wants to go, and sometimes you can't help it. Like sometimes they're so obvious about what they're doing that you just can't, um, you can't avoid it. Like I had that issue with, um. Oh, what's the the not the prestige, but the other one that came out the same time, the one with Jessica Biel, um, the magician movie. Uh, oh, the tall man. No, um, <laughs> it's 
Uh, what is the name? Anyway, there was a right around the time The Prestige came out, which is an excellent film. There was another one that came out the same time, and it was clear to me from the very beginning how that movie was going to play out. I didn't want it to be, but sometimes you just can't help it. So, but what I like to try to do is just wait and I don't. I try not to think about it at all. I just try to immerse myself and let the director take me where they want to go. That's the point of the ride. And so I think that whether or not you get, you know, whether or not you figured it out beforehand, that was not their intent. They don't want you to. They, they, they want you to discover it as she discovers it. Right. Exactly. And you know, illusionists. It was the illusionist. Sorry. Okay. You always do that. You always just <laughs> jump I I in. Do. I know. A I minute do. later, and now I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, no, I, I remember. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, um, the car accident. The the crazy woman blames this girl. It was a rainy day. I don't think anybody was drunk, and she's pregnant, so I don't think. So I think it was just a pure accident. But I guess when you lose your baby, much like Mrs. Voorhees has taught us, uh, there are no uh, boundaries to where where you go when you and lose somebody. An older woman, and I think just judging from the things that she said to, like she says, you know, finally my baby's inside me now. No one's going to hurt you. No one can take you. No one can take you from me. I think it's clear that she has had, that she has wanted a child for a long time, and she has had difficulty, either difficulty getting pregnant or keeping it, or her something has been keeping her from having a baby, and that's been her life goal. That's what she's wanted. So this was, ba- this was, I think she saw it as her last opportunity for whatever reason. We don't really know anything about her past, but it's, this was, this was it for her and that was ripped away from her. So she's very angry. You know, you wonder, we always ask the question, how does, has Mrs. Voorhees go from a nice normal person to you're just willing to kill 13 people? How does that work? Uh, just because, you know, this happened or that happened. You know, we ask that a lot in a lot of movies. Um, how do you just go from normal to being a cannibal just because this guy gives a speech at a head of a dinner table? <laughs> it's just, it's just, I don't know. But this, I can almost imagine. I feel like she, she was just willing to take this girl's baby and anything that came in the way, it was just something, a roadblock that she was just willing to eliminate. I mean, I, I don't think she was willing to kill a bunch of people. I mean, I think she was willing. I think that wasn't her goal. Uh, so you can almost see from her point of view in a, in a strange way. That's the beauty of this film, and that's what I love about this film, is because in the end, who is the better mother? <laughs> you know, I mean, this woman has snatched this baby that's not hers. She has mutilated a lot of people along the way, but she actually wants this baby. And uh, whereas the mother, the the biological mother of this baby does not. And there is a scene in the kitchen after she finally escapes the bathroom, which she's in for the majority of the film. And I love that. Every time she starts to come out of the bathroom, somebody else gets killed. And she's like, fuck, I'm going back in, you know, (laughs) which is great. But that after she finally gets out of the bathroom, there's a scene in the kitchen where she picks up a knitting needle and threatens the life of her unborn child to get this woman to back away from her. Right. And I don't know any woman who would even pretend to threaten the life of their child. Right. That is not something that a loving mother would ever do. So, to, and that to me is another point that drives it home that she doesn't really care about this baby. Right now, all she cares about is herself. All she cares about is her own personal safety. And she is willing to threaten her unborn baby in order to save herself. And because she knows that this woman will not let her kill her baby because this other woman wants this baby. 
Yeah, so and a toaster goes a flying. It does. <laughs> it does, and that's a great hit. I love that. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, what do you guys think of when she gave herself a tracheotomy? It was uh, it's hard was, to watch. That was disturbing. You know, <laughs> I was just like, who even does that? Like, who could do that? I don't know if I could do that. Why do you do that, though? Your lungs won't, your throat won't open or something? If she can't. Yeah, I mean, she couldn't breathe. So she Why? had to open up the airway. I honestly don't know what happened in that scene to close you know, her airway. It was right after the toaster hit. She did it. Yeah. And so I don't know if I don't know if that was I, I every time I watch this movie. Like, I don't understand what happened to her throat that she can't breathe. But, I mean, that's the only time that you would do that is if you need to open up your airway. So, um, but to me, it's, I don't think so. I mean, it's just like the, it's just like in Saw 2 where um, she has to basically pluck out the eye to get to the key to open <laughs> the cage. I'm, I'm fucking dead. And you have one minute to do it. If I have to pluck out my eyeball, just fucking kill me. I'm dead, you know? If I have to poke a hole in my throat, I don't – I really don't know if I could. That I could do more than the eyeball. All right, yeah, I'd be – more readily, but right. um, I'd probably screw it up and cut my carotid artery or something, you know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I don't know. Somehow she could do it laying on the floor without even looking. So I don't understand that, but whatever. Maybe it's photography skills. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's so many lives lost for this one baby. Uh, I don't know how she thought this would play out when she got the baby. Like, she'd just be off the hook with all these murders. I don't know. Um, just crazy. Killed. So she kills a bunch of cops. She, uh, oh, Sarah, the, the pregnant girl, Her she's so paranoid in that bathroom that when at one point she gets a knock, she opens it and immediately stabs whoever's standing there in the throat, and it turns out to be her mother. And then you get this cool scene where the whole – actually Halloween style. She she stabs the mom exactly the way Jamie Lee Curtis stabbed Michael Myers in the throat and in the neck with a, a sewing needle. And then you get to see these cool blood spurts shoot out against the walls. And this movie is just a bloodbath. It's really well done though. It's like a lot of blood but it's not overdone in a, in a strange way even though it was pools of blood running down the stairs for some reason – when it makes sense, it just makes sense. When it drips from their lips, like when they get hit in the mouth and it just that slow, it's so realistic and so intense. Like, it just, it, it's like you don't see that in other movies. You see, you know, someone with a slit throat and one stream of blood and they're down. Like, right. no, this and every single wound that they get, they're bleeding out of that wound for, you know, the proper time in the movie. Right. Yeah, like, we actually see her when her mother, after she stabs her mother, and then she pulls the knitting needle out of her neck, and then you see it spurt, and then as she's as her mother is stumbling down the hall, you see you can tell like with every heartbeat, it just squirts <laughs> a little bit more, squirts a little bit more, it's pumping out, and that you know it's very realistic. And You're one twenty over eighty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then Sarah's reaction. Uh, is kind of heartbreaking at that moment because, like I said, you get the idea that they don't have all that close a relationship. But at that moment, when she realizes that she has killed her mother, it's just it's 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 it tears her up, you know. And um, yeah, it's it's hardcore, <laughs> but in a in a really good way. Yeah. Well, the so the one problem we'll get to the only problem I think there is with all three of us. 
Uh, so there's these two cops. One guy's, I think, okay, it's one one cop, and I guess one somebody who's handcuffed to him. I guess he's oh, one of the one rioters. guys in the riots. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. She kills both of them. One of them, the cop, I think she shoots because you just hear gunshots, and then he's on the floor when you get there. And the other guy gets a pair of shears rammed through his skull <sighs> out of his forehead, and then he uh, collapses. Now. One of these guys get up later. Now, who? Which one got up? The cop. The, cop. the one who got shot. Yeah, and he has yeah. a hole in his head. I mean, you can clearly see the hole in the front of his head—just a gaping, <laughs> nasty wound. Um, but is, got, are, aren't his eyes black too? Yeah, demon yeah. eyes or something. Yeah. Now, what is that? I think that I, I think that what it probably is is blood. I think that that it has just ruptured behind his eyes and that they probably just filled up with all the blood vessels ruptured and, and that's his eyes are actually bloody is what I think. And that, and that paired with the fact that his pupils are probably super dilated because he has a fucking head injury, right. like a huge one. I mean like a big head injury. <laughs> that actually, that explains this. Uh, I actually was searching around for a couple different theories because I have my own on this, but I wanted to see, you know, whatever it said. And oh, we have no theory. I think it's Wikipedia that says that it was a she shot him with a riot gun, so it caused brain damage, which made him think Sarah was the girl trying to kill him. That's why he went after her. Yeah, I mean, I think he, I think there was probably he probably couldn't see very well. He probably, I mean, he just had a but massive head he injury. Turned, so he turned he on the power right. easier than he could with the guy with the flashlight. After yeah, that's he got true. Shot. Yeah. <laughs> He had maybe he had time to lay there and think about it. Like, oh, this is what I should have done to turn the power on. That guy could replace a fuse faster than a jackrabbit on a date. <laughs> <laughs> I told you it's the blue that's out. <laughs> so no. So yeah, I mean, okay. Hearing these things, um, does this make it any easier to swallow? Um, well, here's another one for you. Okay, yeah, give me another one because I'm having a hard time. All right. Completely supernatural. Sarah says there was no survivors in the crash. Right. So that would mean that the that girl's the mom's a ghost. Super, the, yeah, a supernatural being, which means all rules out the window. That guy could come back from the dead. Wait, what? Why would he be able to come back because there were no survivors? Well, if, if that's if that's the case, then that the intruder lady, whatever, never killed him. Be, be real. She'd be like a Victor Crowley. She'd be like a physical ghost. So now she's going around murdering people, but at that point you're throwing the rules of reality out the window. So this guy can get the fuck up and turn on the power. Yeah, no, no, you can't do that. <laughs> no, I, I, I choose not to do that. Now, right, I, yeah. I have seen. I mean, you know, if you've watched like emergency shows or whatever, I've seen examples of people having like metal rods rammed through their head and they survive. I mean, it's all about. Uh, placement you know and so it could be possible that he was just shot in a particular part of his head that would kill him eventually but hadn't yet maybe just sort of knocked him out and then it's sort of like a slow brain death thing going on I, i don't think that it's unrealistic necessarily i think that it is a possibility but within Everything that's going on in the film, it just seems like to, it place. just seems to come in. Yeah, it just seems to come out of nowhere, and it and it it sort of throws you for a loop because you're like, what the what the fuck is he doing up? You know, <laughs> and then he looks like death warmed over. You know, it's everything was wrong with it. One, 
he fixes the light without making any sound or alerting anybody that he's alive. He just goes ahead and that's his priority. Then he just gets all beast. He beasts out and just fucking, you know, now I'm going to be a wild fucking beast, a zombie guy <laughs> after, you know, and the way he looked, that act, that way that actor, I, I don't even know what the fuck was it. Like nothing was right about that whole scene. You, you want another shit scene? out of her too. You have another one? Oh my God. They really try to sell this. This is the pretentious one. Um, the whole scenario, the whole story, everything is um, like an algorithm for her dealing with her depression and not wanting the child. And it's all in her depression of having the kid or even directly related to the violence in France from the riots that is now manifesting in this illusion of this breaking an intrusion. So she cut her own baby out. Yeah, like I said, the pretentious explanation. You're right, that is pretentious. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> now, is this labeled pretentious explanation, or are you just... Because I'll, I'll believe that if it is. Wow. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, Jamie, let's, let's at least tackle... I, I'm going to gloss over this zombie thing, and let's <laughs> at least tackle the idea, what's actually stated in the film, that there were no survivors. What do you say about that? I think she, when she says that, I think she just means I was told that no one else survived this crash. How can you be here? You know, because that's what they told me that that um, I don't think she meant. But they wrote that for a reason. There has to be something to it. Yeah, I think she's just I think they probably told her that. I don't know. Maybe so she wouldn't seek out the woman or I mean people do strange things when they think that they've caused harm to someone else so they probably didn't want to say hey the woman's okay but you killed her baby hmm. um, so maybe they just said well you know there was really no one else you know I don't know I mean but I think what she meant by that is just like hey they told me no one else survived and so I didn't expect you to even be alive I didn't ex- be, who how can you possibly exist um, but I don't think there's anything supernatural about it or, or I think it's just a, an explanation yeah, the lady trying to get the baby didn't seem, didn't do anything. I mean, the only supernatural thing was uh, the zombie cop. And I, you know, honestly, if if anything, I'm just glad he turned the fucking lights on because I couldn't see a thing in this movie for a while. I'm just happy he did that. If anything, I'll accept it for that because <laughs> I'm like, oh, good thing guy, I can finally see what's happening here. But uh, yeah, so that's what happens. Uh, the, we eventually get oh, the best part of the movie has to be. The, uh, do you guys know the best part of the movie? I mean, I think it's obvious it, in the in the kitchen. Oh, you mean with the the spray can? Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Come on. Um, she pops her in the head with a with a toaster, like we said, when she threatened to kill her own baby. If you don't leave me alone, I'll kill my own baby because I know you want it. Uh, so we said the lady cannot stop smoking cigarettes. So she gets on top of the girl after she hits her in the head with the toaster, and then she lights a cigarette up, and then I guess pulls her arm back to stab her again. Whatever the fuck, I don't even know. And um, as she's lighting her cigarette, the girl finds a random can of hairspray on the kitchen floor, picks it up and shoots it, and the light of the cigarette does the whole blowtorch thing into this killer's face, and it sets her whole face, her head on fire. And it's awesome. I mean, and how creepy does she look afterwards? I mean, just the sight of her holding something. Well, you know, and I like that, too, because later on when Sarah finds her crouched in the corner in the dark, when the lights come on, you can see the woman is, you know, she's sort of she has her head down and she's like covering her. It's almost like she's aware of what she looks like. And 
is ashamed. Just like, you're like, oh, don't, you know, don't. And yeah, like there's a moment of, of shame there, which I think is interesting. And it's not even a big thing. It's not a big deal. It's just it's just sort of a little moment there. But I like And it. she's defeated, too, because just because her head's on fire and she looks like the toxic Avenger. Now she's sitting here and she's like, just kill me, uh, Sarah. You already did it once. So here's my problem with that. She's already like accepting defeat here. And meanwhile, she's good enough to continue on the movie knocks sarah out again or whatever the hell happens and then throws her on the stairs or something i don't know sarah lands she on the actually stairs. saves sarah from the cop and once the cop has lost his mind and starts beating the shit out of sarah she comes out of nowhere with that homemade spear and uh spears the cop to save sarah because if well if because he's actually he has hit her he has hit her in the stomach yeah with a bat and, and um you know if it she's basically saving not saving sarah she's saving the baby and uh, so, She's yeah, saving Sarah Silverman. So she was willing. I guess she had come to the point where she was just willing to call it quits until the baby came in danger again. And that's when she was motivated. Instinctive, motherly instinctive. There, exactly. Once again, she proves to be the better mother, the better mother here, the one who really cares about the outcome of this child. Yeah. So big finale. The bitch is crawling up the steps. The uh, burnt head goes over there <laughs> and uh, takes those shears once again. Second attempt. You know, th- actually, the girl tries to push the baby out. She's willing to give birth. And one really weird scene, she keeps on saying, Mommy. And then the burnt head is like, Shh. I think she's just calling for her mom like you yeah, do. I was won. thinking that. Yeah. yeah, but she's dead, though. Yeah, but, you know, she's been through a lot. <laughs> she's not thinking straight. Mommy, just get up. Everybody else seems to get up around here if they're dead. <laughs> What the fuck? Come here! <laughs> you see this fucking guy turn the lights on? So it's like, you know, so the, then you get the big scene. She cuts the baby out of the girl and, and takes her baby. Uh, the only thing you don't see is you don't actually see her pulling the baby out. That would have been cool and then seeing her cut the cord. But I think, as we've said a couple times, the less you see, maybe the cooler it is. In this case, it didn't really pull. It didn't work that way for me i think at this point with what we've seen and how far we've seen into this extraction i think you should have just finished it but whatever um i guess you didn't have the budget to have I was a... already hiding behind my fingers during this <laughs> yeah. point of view. what do you want from me um and you know what the the reason for that honestly i have a belly button thing right oh was, was she an Audi or something no it's just when she she always starts cutting her in the belly button and then like she like starts the scissors there and then works up and um which is what she did in the bed too always with the belly button and i have this thing like it freaks me out if someone pokes me in the belly button or if i see anyone like pick, picking at their belly button or whatever and it just it weirds me out so um th- this whole scene i'm already hiding behind my fingers you know <laughs> what are you trying to do to me here <laughs> You know, there's people with fetishes that they, they, instead of doing oral sex, they just sit there and lick inside the people's belly button. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Ugh. I made that up. I'm starting a new trend. This is weird. As I'm watching the movie, as we're, let's just say, we're at, even in her in the bathroom still. Let's just say we're at 45 minutes. I'm thinking, I think I saw it on Bravo's 100 Scariest Moments. They described this movie and said, a lady actually cuts the baby out of the girl and takes it. That's how obsessed she was. Like, I think I heard that. So that jogged my memory too, even though I have seen this years ago. And to me, I'm like, I want to see her cut the baby out of the stomach. So 
Uh, I don't really want the girl to win, the pregnant girl. I don't really care if she wins. Uh, I'd rather see something. So to me, I feel like you got a complete resolve here. The the lady going after her got completely fucked up. Her got, she got her, head, her head burned, this and that. Beat the shit out of. Everybody died. In the, like, tons of other people died. We got a lot of kills. This girl, pregnant girl, got the shit beat out of her. She, she sort of had a heroic moment. And... You still get to see uh, the baby get because I I don't know how this the girl the burn I, maybe she like snorted ninety milligrams of Percocets or some shit but she wasn't even feeling the pain of that I mean her head was on fire and she acted like she was fine you know th- throughout the rest of the movie and so what you got to see is a complete and total resolve and everything took place that you could hope for exactly yeah um, when I first heard the premise of the movie and seen the cover art um, the American cover art. I knew what the climax would be um, based on what they were selling, uh, the plot premise. I was worried that it was going to be, you know, capture somebody, tie him up, and then, you know, 90 minutes of bullcrap, then cut a baby out. So I was pleased that I at least got a full feature film of great scenes, gore, suspense, and that that was just the icing on the cake. Um, you know, I, I didn't think they would plan this whole thing and not at least have some attempt at finalizing the goal or the task so i knew we'd get to see that eventually and that would be the climax how it would be resolved i didn't know but i was waiting for it waiting for it waiting for it i'm just glad that everything that happened before was just as good or better or more surprising or more suspenseful that just made it by the time the ending came it was like all right let's just get this over with like i kind of forgot this was going to happen but you already showed (laughs) me all this other shit so just lay it on me yeah exactly that's how i feel I was afraid when I was watching this that it would have the ending that I expected, uh, you know, just from years of watching horror films, you expect the killer to get killed in the end. You expect, you know, the pregnant girl to survive. And I didn't want that. I want this ended exactly (laughs) the way I wanted it to. And to be honest, I don't like Sarah. I, I don't like her character. Never once do I feel much sympathy for her. And I think that, and that's what I adore about this film is that you've got this woman who is just slicing people up left and right, but but there's something about her, it makes you it you it puts you in a quandary at the end. Like who really is the protagonist of this film, and who really is the antagonist? Like who is the heroine of this film? And you can go so far as to say that is that is the woman. It is the woman who has. First and foremost, the only thought in her mind throughout this entire film was the safety of this baby and that she wanted this baby and that she loved this baby that wasn't even hers. Meanwhile, Sarah wanted nothing to do with it. So maybe so, the good guy did survive then. In a way, I think in a way I think she did and I think that that's what uh, that's what I think the filmmakers are trying to It forces you into a moral quandary, which I love that. I love it when you make me look in the face of a woman who has just slaughtered a bunch of people and think God, she really is a better mother than Sarah. Huh. And if you can make me do that, then you have done your job as a filmmaker. And as skewed as they were, and they were skewed, and she's crazy as hell, um, the the woman's intentions, as far as she's concerned, within her own mind, her intentions are pure. <laughs> one what-the-fuck moment and one, uh, you might have missed a question. What the fuck moment? Um, she's got the whole wall of photos of her and her husband. One random photo of a black kid. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I guess 
I, yeah, I don't know, photographer. <laughs> Either that or maybe she adopted an African child. and <laughs> That's the picture they sent. Are there a lot of black people in uh, France? Yeah, I mean, yeah. And uh, another I don't know what this. I don't know the statistics. You know the percentage, <laughs> but yes, there are black people in France. Uh, uh, the staircase scene climax in the movie. Um, lady goes to cut the baby out, puts her hand on the rail. She's wearing a wedding ring. The woman is. Yeah. So who was her? Hu- well, that one girl said, "What guy would fuck you?" So she had a husband. It could. I mean, you know, I don't know. It could be. Maybe she's not. I mean, I also know that there are stories of women who invent husbands, you know, and maybe she's just that crazy. I mean, who the fuck knows? Maybe she's tired of guys hitting on her. I've actually never <laughs> noticed. I've never noticed that. So that's a good call. Tony notices. I, I thought I was that guy, but man, I'm losing it. Good thing I'm leaving. <laughs> just kidding. No, so, uh, yeah, well, that's, I guess that's it. We covered everything. So uh, I give this movie a 4.5 out of 5. How about you, Tony? I have to agree. Yes. Completely. The, the .5, I think, goes to the cop getting up. No, it's okay. <laughs> no, it's just not, a, just not perfectly perfect. It's not a cherished, beloved thing. It's nothing I'm going to, like, buy uh. and stuff like that. Um, I will definitely watch it again. I would definitely recommend it. Oh, my God. Everybody should see this if you listen to this show. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a high enough rating. I don't really have to explain the fucking point five. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Jamie, what do you uh, give this? This is a five for me. I outright I outright love it. I, I do. What it's, about, okay, now I have to ask you, what about the cop? It doesn't bother me. It, I, and the first time I saw it, I was like, what the hell is that? You know, but I've just sort of come to accept it. And... <laughs> It's it's a surprising moment. It's an interesting moment. I, I can't completely wrap my mind around it, but it doesn't take anything away from the film for me. Okay, if he got up and had normal eyes and acted weird and went after the girl, that would even be okay for me as long as, uh, you know, I got the explanation that the thing just went through his head or it was a whatever gun, a riot gun or whatever, and he just kind of lost his mind. I, I could even buy that, even though it'd be, I don't know, he was a little too good at going to kill people at that point, where he should have been a little bit more uh, disoriented. He turned the power on. Right, like, do it, it doesn't make sense. He was normal with a flashlight. He was too normal. Yeah, that's the problem. I, he was too normal before we, you know, it's too movie-making to me. It's like, what the fuck? The lights went on, we all turn. Okay, and then all of a sudden, roar! Like, get the fuck out of here. Come on, you just made a good movie. What the fuck are you doing, I you think, asshole? I think maybe it's, um... Okay, maybe he had this... He was shot in the head, and the first thing he did was... Go back to what he was doing before. Go back sh- to what he was doing before. Like, that's that, that's what's foremost in his mind. You know, he was just like, what was I... He gets up, oh, power. And that's... Right. Because that was the last thing he was doing. And then, roar! Yeah, and then he just loses his <laughs> shit, you know? <laughs> uh, whatever. Right, I spent a half hour on this fucking douchebag. All right, we'll be right back after this. Hey, Vince, I've been a long-time listener for Rabbit and Red since you guys were on Horror Bid. And I just want to know, in your opinion, who do you think is the best podcast out there? Hmm. Very simple. The Skeleton Crew. Honest to God, I feel they are number one. 
love me? Ever? I said, go, go. Dad, did you love me or not? Daddy, I gotta know. Come on, lie to me and tell me you did. Let me feel like the piece of shit I am. Did you love me or not? Answer me! Not if I are you! Of course I did. Okay, we're wrapping up show 94. Um, so, Tony, thanks, man, for hopping on uh, and joining us in the dungeon. You actually came in here instead of calling in. What made you do that? You wanted to see what it was like in here? Well, I was hanging outside Jamie's window, so I figured I would just follow her when she went in and snuck in. Did you punch a hole through a window and smoke a cigarette? <laughs> no, I was... I was uh, I was taking a piss, and when I was zipping up, I seen her leaving, so I just followed her. There you go. Jamie's good to piss on her lawn, look through her window, and watch her do whatever she does. So that's awesome. Uh, yeah, man, thanks for your recommends and great time reviewing you. Thanks for the French horror uh, idea. That was, a, that was a recommend. I mean, uh, I had a great time. I saw this movie, but, man, uh, it was great talking about it. Um, all right, well, so... Uh, we're wrapping this up. So, Tony, what do you have you want to commemorate your appearance on the Skeleton Crew? And we thank you for coming on. What do you want to give away to the Boneheads? Ah, uh, well, just to show my gratitude for you guys putting up with me and giving me the form to speak my mind and get into the topic that I really liked, which was uh, you know, French horror Sounds films. Right. Oh. I decided, <laughs> I decided that I was uh, I'm going to give away a French horror film. Uh, plus a couple other um, choice selections out of my future man cave storage. Uh, there's some cool stuff that I'm going to throw in here that you guys are going to like. So basically, the way the contest, I'm thinking it should work, is the name of the film, which this whole thing's surrounded of, is going to be a French horror film. When you guys hear this show, it'll kind of be like the fastest person to respond has the best chance of winning first come, first serve. So what you need to do in the post is take your best guess at which French horror film I am describing. First person to guess the French horror film, I will send you a DVD copy of that film, plus a couple other pretty cool prizes. Uh, just note that just because you're the first person to guess, if you get it wrong, you know, you're probably not going to be able to guess until the next day, so... You know, first come, first serve, but uh, this might be a little tricky. Uh, I will tell you, if you hit a couple, you know, most disturbing French films or top ten French horror films, it might be on the list. But, um, you know, if you guess wrong and then you guess again with, you know, less than 24 hours, even if you guess right, I'm not going to tell you. So first come, first serve, but choose wisely. Uh, and, uh, I think that's how we should roll it. Uh, if you think that's a good idea, Alex, you know, all those rules are laid out. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see what people come up with. Cool. Yeah, I I would not win this contest. And Jamie wants to win it actually. So Jamie, you're gonna throw your hat in the ring. <laughs> she wants a French movie. Damn, the last one was so good that we just talked about. So fuck, why not? No, I actually have all the French films. So yeah. oh, um, sorry. Oh. <laughs> I, got, I, I got one more what one more rule of the contest. I forgot. You have to like Sons more than Breaking Bad. <laughs> no, um, you have to call in based on you know when this airs either the skeleton crew or banana laser show and give a you know a short audio recording of your review of the film after you win it and watch it nice so 
don't don't enter the contest if you're not willing to give a small audio review of the film because that's I can't wait to hear it. So it's more the point of the contest more than anything. This movie's fucked up. There you go. The skeleton crew is always giving back as well as all the boneheads and lasers. You're a laser, right? Oh yeah. Yes, he's a laser and a bonehead. So, well, uh, Jamie, do you have anything to add before we wrap up? No, I had a great time. Thank you, Tony, for joining us. It was a lot of fun. It was good to talk to you again. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me, guys. Blast talking to you guys online through this. You know, blast listening. Uh, hope you guys have a great run here towards the end. I can't wait to hear it all. So keep up the great work. Yep, and thank you for helping us wind it down. This is the Skeleton Crew 94, and we'll be back for more. Later. <laughs>